Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a guest on the show and I'm talking to Johnny Landles from Next Step Nutrition. Now Johnny is a lover of musicals, craft beer and great coffee and he is a nutritionist, strength coach and online health coach and has a master's in musical theatre. I believe that if you look at Johnny's account on Instagram you may even be treated to the odd musical performance so do go and check him out at Johnny Landles. Johnny works with chronic dieters to support them to ditch the diet mentality overcome disordered eating habits, improve body image and holistic well-being to finally get results that last. And this is all done in a sustainable way that suits their goals and values. Johnny uses a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational interviewing, which focuses on building internal motivation for change. Now, Johnny hasn't always had the best relationship with food and his body. He was teased about his weight as a child, and this led to an obsession with getting shredded and changing his body, believing that this would be the solution to confidence and self-esteem for his previous performing career. Now, over the years, Johnny has been involved heavily in the fitness industry as a CrossFit coach and with a strong passion for health and nutrition. However, this has led him to some very dark places in relationship with food, body image, and well-being and his journey to finding a more holistic place of wellness has inspired him to then support and encourage others to do the same in his coaching work. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Johnny today to hear all about his story and the ups and downs of this, and then to explore about the valuable work he's doing with his clients today. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Johnny. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Harriet. It's always an honour to be invited on. So, Johnny, can I firstly get you to introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Yeah, of course. So, my name's Johnny. I run a coaching company called Next Step Nutrition. We focus on working with disordered eaters with their relationship with food and helping them embrace a more intuitive eating style approach. We also offer online personal training alongside that. So, my specialty is more inside of functional fitness training than anything else because I've got a CrossFit background so we combine kind of like strength training functional training and intuitive eating principles to help people escape rigid dieting practices or disordered eating habits improve their relationship with food their relationship with themselves and essentially you know embrace health but without such a rigid focus on aesthetics by any means possible yeah brilliant sounds amazing Johnny (laughs) Um, Thanks. <laughs> and it sounds like you've got quite a team, have you? Like, you know, working at Next Step Nutrition? Not yet, but I'd like to. You know, I've started to build a bit of a team in terms of other tasks. So not other coaches as of yet. I've experimented in the past with, with different coaches, but it was probably too soon to make that call. Whereas at the minute, what I'm doing is I'm building a team of people who can help me with other tasks. And therefore, it leaves me with the ability to coach more people if that makes sense so starting to kind of put into place a bit of a team but it's definitely not it's not as big as I'd like it yet I do have good vision for Next Step Nutrition to be a kind of commanding force in this space because I really think there's a market and a lot of people that need this kind of help. 
Yeah, no, brilliant. So you're on the way to being an empire, but yeah, you're not quite there yet. <laughs> not there yet, but we'll see where we are in, a, in, in five years' time. <laughs> so Johnny, I saw from your website that you are a lover of musicals, craft beer and great coffee. So I just wanted you to share with us, please, what is your favourite musical? <laughs> this is probably the hardest question to answer <laughs> because it's really difficult to not fall into just sort of kind of cliches. But really... So my favourite musical is actually a new music. Well, it's recently reasonably new in the sort of last 20 years. It's something called Next to Normal. It's not actually known by that many people, but it did have a stint on Broadway. It's never unfortunately come over to the UK, but it's a musical, quite a small cast, and it's actually quite an emotional musical. But the music inside of that is really, really good, and the story itself is very strong. That's my favourite in terms, I've never been in it, I've never done it, because as I said, it's never come over to the UK, so it's never been available for an amateur group or something to do. But that would be my favourite one to watch and listen to, yeah. Okay, well, thank you. Well, thank you for that recommendation, because I'm sure there will be some people that would be really up for, you know, watching a musical, listening to a musical with that, like, strong emotional component and a great storyline and something a bit different as well. So thank you for that little tidbit. <laughs> You're welcome. So, Johnny, I know you've had your sort of own journey in overcoming sort of issues with food and body image. You know, could I just ask you perhaps just share a little bit about your story, please? Sure. So this could get quite long, but I'll try and keep it as concise as possible. So growing up, I was always a bit of a bigger kid. But I did have periods of fluctuation within my weight. And that's pretty normal for kids anyway, right? You kind of have like what people call the puppy fat stage. And then you have a bit of a growth spurt and all the rest of it. But I was always wider. Like I've, I've always been broad shouldered. I've always been a wide bloke. My dad was the same. My granddad on my mum's side was the same. So, you know, he was a blacksmith. My dad was a rugby player. I became a rugby player. But... I became quite conscious of that fact when I was in my teens because I received, unfortunately, a bit of negative weight stigma, you know, bullying, as does happen in sort of kids and teenage worlds. My mum and dad were larger people and my mum was kind of always on and off Weight Watchers, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. You know, we had things like the Special K diet entered our house. And even though, like, I can look back at pictures of myself now as a teenager and I'm very actually straight bodied in those pictures. I always had a mental image of myself being bigger and struggling with body fat. So that was clearly more of a mental issue back then than was a physical issue. I was very active as a teenager, played rugby for a few different teams, played cricket. I did musical theater, stage school. I was, you know, I was just, I just did everything. But unfortunately, I had that kind of negative image. And that was almost perpetuated when my father unfortunately passed away from heart disease when I was 16. This kicked a kind of health kick inside of me. And it's interesting because we'll go into sort of more detail of my education now, but early parts of my fitness education, which came after uni, actually, because I, I went to uni and, and drama school to do musical theatre and had a brief stint trying to be a professional actor before I picked up fitness coaching. So when I started my fitness coaching journey it was very much tied into everything that had happened with my dad and because of the education I received which was very it was very weight loss biased you know everything was like okay well these things can be avoided if you're at a natural body weight it spoke about lifestyle and food quality as well 
but there was a lot of it of like, okay, there are associations with being larger with these comorbidities like heart disease, high cholesterol and things like that, which my dad did suffer from. So everything I was doing with myself, trying to force myself to be smaller and trying to help other people to do it was kind of linked to that. Whereas now through a lot more education and reading and a lot more education around the health at every size movement and intuitive eating, I can see that really the things that my dad suffered with were much more lifestyle related than body weight related, particularly because when he did pass away from heart disease, he was actually fairly straight bodied. And it was much more because of the stress of his job, lack of movement, lack of food quality, and also an excessive smoking habit, which led to his demise rather than his size. So that's kind of a jump forward and a jump backwards. But really, I went through quite a lot of excessive exercise and restrictive eating myself to try and conform to being smaller, particularly from I went from doing while I was you know, in musical theatre and quite a lot of my musical theatre rhetoric was to get smaller as well. But they were talking much more from like not being as muscular. But when I was doing CrossFit, I was even more body conscious about being slightly larger than other people. And so my mission became to become as lean as everyone else. So I thought that good nutrition was the key. That led to me doing performance-based CrossFit, which was twice a day training. I could argue that that was for a performance goal but there was also a goal of like well if I'm more active I'll lose more fat and I combined Mm -hmm. that with rigorously tracking calories and macros as well because that actually helped me in my opinion escape rigid dieting practices like clean eating and paleo and meal plans and stuff which I'd done prior to calorie tracking so calorie Mm -hmm. tracking felt like the flexible way to do it versus the other methods but what I realized looking back is that that was you know it was just as restrictive as anything else it was just a different type Through CrossFit coaching and through this earlier education is when I created Next Step Nutrition, which is also why you could say like Next Step Nutrition in the last four or five years, it's had some growths and it's had some troughs because I've completely changed how I work and who I work with. And that's because of this journey through education from a weight biased nutrition education through to learning more about intuitive eating, learning more about eating habits and relationship with food and relationship with the self body image and health at every size to this very much next step nutrition 2.0 which is very very aware of the fact that younger johnny was actually very disordered in his eating habits was very body dysmorphic was very almost bulimic really in terms of exercise because of using that much more as a way to eat more or using that as a punishment for eating more or being afraid of exercise in case I put on fat. That's kind of been the journey, really. You know, I started CrossFit when I was 22 and I'm now 32. And through kind of CrossFit coaching, competing in CrossFit, and then out of the other side of that much more to, I still train with functional fitness, but much less competitively and much more for health. I could see the detriments of that performance-based attitude to a health-based attitude. And I could see how really I was doing very excessive and very restrictive methods to stay lean which is clearly not where my body was meant to be so it was that kind of it was my own journey through the other side of restrictive eating to think okay well how do I learn to trust my body if I'm not going to use macros or calorie tracking or fasting or any of these other strategies that I'd been taught as a practitioner to help people lose fat I was like how am I gonna maintain what I would deem a you know how do I get happy with my body and be healthy 
and that led to that the whole discovery of intuitive eating and health at every size and all of that education. So mm. we've kind of gone forward and backwards in time quite a lot there. But my summary of that would be I grew up very conscious of my body size, probably for the wrong reasons. I thought that I had to lose fat in order to be happy and healthy, but actually that led down some pretty disordered paths. Through the other side of that, I've become much happier with my body through work on my body image. I've become a lot happier with my relationship with food through finding an intuitive approach. And although I'm larger now, I'm much happier with my work and food and life balance because I appreciate where exercise and food fits into my life rather than the other way around. Yeah, well, thank you so much for talking us through that. You know, I really sort of struck it has been struck by it's been a real journey, hasn't it? From, you know, I guess, you know, really sadly losing your dad at such a young age is so understandable that that would have had an incredible impact on just shifting your perspective on everything. You know, how you sort of initially went down that sort of more very sort of weight focused approach. And then, you know, the whole journey through fitness but now out the other side into a much more sort of intuitive eating space, health at every size and a more holistic place of health. So, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that, Johnny. You know, I'm very struck by how many different transitions you have been through into in a relatively short space of time, actually. And I think that takes a lot of bravery and quite a shift in mindset, doesn't it, to sort of keep changing direction, but obviously like leaning in more and more towards your truth. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know, if you were to talk to anyone about the way to consistently grow something, it would not be to pivot as many times as I have. But it's one of those where, as you mentioned, it's actually more towards my truth in terms of my values and the way that I want to show up as a practitioner. Like the same thread that's gone through Next Step Nutrition has always been this idea of avoiding misinformation, avoiding this chaos that can be the wellness industry in terms of the amount of untruths that are out there as well as making complex information simple so it's like those those two core truths have never changed but now the delivery of it towards what is actually a healthy outcome for an individual is different because my views on that have changed for the better particularly for people who have gone through that same cycle that I have which is you know alarmingly quite a number of people particularly because they're portrayed this idea of perfection on social media and through you know magazines tv and all the rest of it of these quite unsustainable body types for a lot of people and it's trying to help people through that misinformation navigation now to look this is actually what health looks like and health looks different on a number of different people so it's finding what that is for you while also adopting those principles of like what we you know what we call balanced eating and a healthy amount of exercise because unfortunately there's just so much misinformation in the industry that that looks to lead people astray and I'm sure like I know I'm approached by a lot of people who are really struggling with their eating over exercise etc but they perhaps haven't realized until several months or years down that road that they were in a difficult place and that actually all of this had become quite disordered so I'm sort of wondering for you, because I'm sure there's some people listening at the moment that, you know, maybe a bit unsure, have I got a healthy relationship with food and exercise or not? But they're kind of in the mm. fitness world. They're being very much validated for how they look, doing all this exercise, et cetera. Like, what would you say are mm. some of the warning signs for people to look out for that they may be in a place that's not that healthy? I think 
it's interesting, isn't it? Because there there are people that will get by and not have a negative reaction to certain habits compared to other people. Like, you know, there's a big thing about intention, but then there's also a big thing about the just different personalities will, will just gel with different methods. I think the biggest thing to look out for is probably like the preoccupation or obsession with it, because there's absolutely nothing wrong with being committed to goals. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being dedicated to certain goals. But when that comes at the expense of other things that could potentially also improve your health, or if you're doing that actually at a detriment to other aspects of health, you've got to ask yourself, what, you know, is that the balance that you're really striving for? So what I mean by that is, I know for me, like there was a real preoccupation with tracking my calories because there was a fear that if I didn't, then everything would go horribly wrong. And if I didn't track my calories, I would just be, you know, binge, like not actually binging, but I would be overeating quite a lot. Or if I went over my calories, then I would overeat because I think, well, I've already ruined it. So what's the point in kind of going on? And there was such a fear around not exercising in case I gained weight or lost fitness from like missing one session. And this was such a preoccupation that if I was going on holiday, I'd need to look ahead at where the gyms were. Like, are there gyms near my hotel? Like, how am I going to get to the gym if I'm at this hotel? Or well, what am I, you know, what am I going to eat if I'm traveling on the road? Do I need to cook my own food? I mean, it got that bad one time that I actually went to a weekend away trip and I took all of my food with me. Like, I took all of my food in different Tupperware packets with me in an attempt to like stay on track. And I think if that's what you're doing, you have to ask yourself if that's actually okay or not, because I would argue it's not. Yeah, but thank you for clarifying that. And I think, you know, what you're saying is when there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of sort of preoccupation and when it's really sort of interfering with normal day-to-day things that you want to do, that's when it can become problematic. And I think what's really helpful is that you're picking up on just about the intention behind it, because I think sometimes on social media, things become very sort of black and white, don't they? And we kind of miss the nuance in things and we're not necessarily saying, yeah, that these things are bad themselves, but it's your relationship with it and your intention behind it that you need to look at. Yes. I think that's, what's really important, right? Because like I've posted a lot about disordered eating and exercise habits and people are like, okay, well, is that actually disordered? And I said, okay, adding vegetables to a meal isn't disordered if you're doing it because you are aware that vegetables are nutritious and you're aware that fiber is healthy for you and you know it helps your gut like work well and you're doing it for extra staying power so that you can be more satisfied through the afternoon and there's all of these great intentions but if you're let's say you're only eating vegetables or and protein because you're afraid of carbohydrates or because you're volume eating to try and hack your hunger then that's a different intention So it's like the same action with a different intention can mean two different things. And I say this to clients all the time as well, that a lot of people still come to me looking to like wanting to like lose a bit of body fat and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that when it's from the right place, but all too often it can become far too obsessive. And actually when clients say it to me and they say, oh, it's because I want to improve my health. It's like, well, we need to challenge that because we can improve health without actually losing any weight and people put weight loss on this pedestal as if like if I weigh less then I'll feel like more worthy or more confident and it's like well actually we can get you those things without touching a scale and your preoccupation of needing to see weight loss will lead you to certain habits that you don't want to maintain and will also actually negatively affect your mental health because you know we could go into a huge discussion of 
weight loss isn't always fat loss. You know, you could be losing muscle mass. You could just be losing water weight. You could be losing all of these other things. And not to mention the fact that people say, oh, I want to lose fat to improve my health. But then they'll not actually measure any health-based markers. You know, you're working with this fitness coach, but all they're doing is measuring your scale weight, the tape around your waist, and then taking photos of you in your underwear. But you've not measured your resting heart rate. You've not measured your sleep quality. You've not measured your VO2 max. You've not measured your, okay, you're measuring your step count, but only because you're trying to force your body to be smaller. You've not measured your fasting glucose or your cholesterol or, or your thyroid function or anything else. So I'm always very challenging on the fact of like, what is your real reason of wanting to lose fat? And actually, can we change that goal to, if you want to feel better about your eating habits, we can do that. If fat loss happens as a result of you improving your habits and listening to your body again and exercising in a way that feels sustainable, fantastic. But we've also got to be happy and accepting that that might not happen as well. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. I just think it's such a powerful message, isn't it? Because of in our culture, we so much equate just weight loss with health, don't we? And I think sounds yeah. like some of the work you're doing is you're really sort of untangling that myth and, you know, kind of teasing it apart and looking at it and, you know, really looking at the bigger picture of health. And you mentioned quite a few of the different things that you might focus on as other markers of health. But could you say a bit more about those kind of healthy behaviours that you might sort of really encourage rather than focusing on weight? Yeah, of course. Great question. So behaviours are those things that are within our control, right? I mean, there might be things that happen that get in the way of us doing certain behaviours and, and those things are less inside of our control. But behaviours that are within our control are how we move, how much we move, although there will be limitations of that, of course, dictating your schedule, the priority, availability, all of those things which we have to work with. But then there's also the foods that you eat in terms of the variety and overall nutrient density of those foods as well. Like I mentioned before, eating more vegetables, eating more fibrous-based carbohydrates, eating more fruits in a way that is accessible to you as well. You know, we can look at canned varieties or frozen varieties or other varieties to suit you know your and this is obviously an issue of socioeconomic status as well which isn't talked about enough in health as you said everyone glorifies weight loss but we don't talk about the fact that actually a lot of this is inaccessible to a lot of people the wellness industry can come across very privileged with that whole organic natural like clean foods and that's a completely different conversation but we glorify weight loss but behaviors like being active sleeping well and getting a good access to nutritious foods and water is actually much more key to being healthy as well as adequate sun exposure versus just what your gravitational pull towards the earth is and you know of course i'm sure you've educated listeners and followers and all the rest of it to the pitfalls of the bmi but when you actually look at evidence on the bmi towards health status you can see people living the longest are actually in the overweight to obese categories anyway but you know you and i both know that the bmi was made by just some sort of mathematician who wasn't intending for it to be used as health this many years later anyway. Time for a short advertisement break. Friends, does it seem like I'm okay until I'm stressed, then I can't stop eating? Am I ever going to stop binging? I just can't slow down or relax. I can't tell my hunger and fullness even though I think I'm eating enough. I'm fine with food till something happens and then I'm restricting or emotional eating or not buying groceries again. I surround myself with body positive pictures, wearing more comfortable clothes, but I still can't stand my body and I fear gaining weight. 
you don't lack knowledge, you might just not have felt a sense of safety inside you for recovery efforts to fully land. This means you might be living in chronic fight, flight, freeze or please, and you need new experiences of the threat responses softening that cause the eating and body image issues in the first place so the recovery can actually stick. If you're seeking the missing piece in your food, weight and health recovery journey, consider trauma-informed nutrition counselling with Tracy Brown and Associates. Tracy can be reached at www.tracybrownrd.com slash get hyphen started. That's www.tracybrownrd.com slash get hyphen started to learn how to shift what has been too much or not enough inside for food to feel easy. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And Johnny, I see as well that as part of your kind of coaching process, you use motivational interviewing. And, you know, it's something that I yes. use as well with my clients. And I know like people, you know, approaching, I'm sure there's like often like ambivalence, isn't there, and uncertainty around change. But I wonder, could you just explain a little bit more about motivational interviewing and how you might really help someone to get sort of rooted in that change process? Yeah, of course. So motivational interviewing is how it sounds it's more interviewing based process to try and bring about someone's internal motivation to change and you rightly said there that we all have ambivalence to change that kind of questioning of whether or not we can or should or want to and that's such a key area to highlight that ambivalence is totally normal because there are always benefits to the things that you're currently doing and I don't think unless you accept that it's hard to change things even if that change might be for the better you've kind of got to see that you're not like broken you're doing things that are serving you a purpose in some way it's just wondering what that purpose is and would it be better served with an alternative behavior or habit but the process of motivational interviewing is a combination of asking open-ended questions listening actually to what the client says affirming what they've said back so that you can you know actually understood that you've heard correctly usually affirming back you know allows the client to kind of expand on the point as well and breach into more things reflecting things back as well it does the same thing you know reflecting their language back to them and then summarizing what they've said when you're on certain topics are saying okay it sounds like this 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 and this is that right and then they can obviously expand more or say yes and it's a gentle process of repeating these kind of questions and reflections until you can start to guide them towards a change because unless there's some specific re-education that needs to occur which is always provided upon permission rather than just sort of shoved down the throat the clients usually know what kind of behaviors they want to start doing or start making they just need help with making those changes fit into their lives because they've either seen it on other people's lives or they've done it in the past and they've been too restrictive or it's been too much to, at once or they've had a change of circumstance and they need help navigating it it's that process of helping clients make the changes they know they want to make and also then giving them new information and education when required to help them make changes that are going to benefit their health and fitness goals and so it takes consultations you know it takes calls to do that properly because you can't just listen to a client or get an intake form for example and then say great here's your plan like and just slap them with a meal plan and a fitness plan and a bunch of resources because they're just not going to follow that and it's not what they need. What they need actually is that conversation and that back and forth. They might need some information and resources and guides, but 
they need at first and know that those are the things that they can follow to help them get their required result does that answer the question yeah no I think very beautifully explained thank you (laughs) yeah and I think I think it's just what came across there for me as well is just like really normalizing that ambivalence and that it's a bit of a process isn't it and I think people are often really hard on themselves aren't they and kind of get very frustrated with themselves and think why can't I just change but through this process of motivational interviewing it makes it a lot more clear doesn't it like the blocks and how something might actually be helping you cope and you can be a lot more kind of compassionate with yourself can't you for maybe why you are a bit stuck and why you've got a lot of fears around change absolutely absolutely because that's the thing isn't it people think they think that they should just be motivated to do it and they think that they should just want it or they think there's something wrong with them if they don't want it or you know they're not trying hard enough or they don't have enough willpower or motivation but it's none of those things it's just the fact that human life is inevitably you know messy confusing busy and it's natural to be confused and also pro and against change so it's just helping it's talking through it isn't it it's talking through it it's like it's almost like therapy And I think that there is that combination then of some CBT work there to listen to someone's thoughts about themselves, food and exercise, and help them reframe those to things that are more balanced, compassionate, healthy, and helpful on their journey. Yeah, no, hear, hear. So Johnny, something else I wanted to ask you about was sort of self-compassion, because I think I know many of my clients come into therapy and they are they've sort of heard about self-compassion sometimes, but they kind of think, oh, well, if I'm compassionate towards myself, I'm just going to become really lazy and I'm never going to achieve my goals, et cetera, et cetera. And I think particularly perhaps in the sort of fitness world where there's this message sometimes about kind of like go hard or go home and like, you know, really sort of like a very sort of strivey approach. So I'm just wondering, could you explain a bit about how you approach self-compassion in your work? Yeah, yeah. And again, clients of mine probably feel the same is that, you know, if I let myself off the hook, then I'll just, I won't do anything. I won't get anything done. I won't make any, you know, vegetables or, or do anything. And as you said, the go hard or go home attitude is very prevalent. And what I remind clients and followers is that self-compassion could probably be best viewed as the advice and concern that you would show a loving mate right? So you wouldn't say to your friend that they are fat, ugly, worthless, lazy, and terrible. Yet that's often the language we use for ourselves. But in fact, what you would do, but you'd also not let your friend off the hook if your friend said that they were going to quit smoking and start walking for their physical health. You'd probably say to them, how's that going? You know, you'd check in on them and you'd hold them accountable to that. And you'd also say, well, you said that you wanted to do these things because it would help you do X, Y, and Z. Has that changed? You know, do you not want to do those things anymore? And you would help your friend do the things that were good for them, even if they could be bothered less. And there's a fine line between, let's say, not getting rest or overexerting yourself, and then also not doing the things that will actually be better for you long term. So let's say, I'm really busy at work and I'm going to struggle to get for a walk today. Well, even if that's the case, I'm going to be better physically and mentally by getting out, even if that's just for five minutes and by holding myself accountable to that, I'm being compassionate in the fact that I'm busier. And so I would like to spend more time at work because that would relieve pressure, but I'm also 
getting the thing done that I know is good for me. And so it's that fine balance between compassion and also, well, it's compassion because it's what's right. It's going to help you. That's why I say it's like the advice you'd give to a caring friend, because you're going to hold them accountable, but you're not going to be a dick about it, for want of a better word. <laughs> yeah, they're absolutely. Yeah, and I think you did explain that really well, actually, just like that kind of balance between accountability but and being compassionate and supportive of yourself because I think again like sometimes on social media like the message gets a bit lost here in a very black and white way and you know people don't really then understand what being compassionate really means so you know thank you for explaining that Um, no and uh, you know Kristen Neff's obviously done a lot of work on that hasn't she and we could obviously go into like much more detailed definitions of like that combination of common humanity self-care and mindfulness but I think that if people want to research into it more then self-compassion.org is a great place. And, you know, you can take the self-compassion quiz to sort of see where you're up to. But I think I love the explanation of use the language you would to a close friend because then instantly people's like heads click and they're like, ah, okay. Like I understand now what I need to do differently to help myself feel better as well as take action. That's going to help me with what I want to do. Yeah, no, very true. Because we're usually quite good at being compassionate to our friends, aren't we, compared to ourselves? <laughs> always, always. We show everybody else much kinder language and action than we do ourselves, unfortunately. Yeah. And can I just ask you as well, just one question as well, Johnny, about body image. And like, you know, for anyone who's listening that at the moment is very sort of fixated on an aesthetic, you know, perhaps being very lean, having a six pack or, you know, not saying there's anything wrong with these goals, but if someone recognizes, yeah. someone, if someone's listening and they're realizing actually, you know, to try and maintain these goals, I'm in a really destructive place with food. What could someone do as a, as a baby step to begin to address some of that body image sort of area, I guess, and to perhaps be able to take a little step back to being less focused on the body? Like what sort of things would you recommend yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because a lot of the time then these things can be hyped up in people's like identity and confidence within themselves. I know for me that being leaner was that like safety blanket because I was in a CrossFit coaching and competitive position. So it, it was like part of my identity to look that way. And I felt that if I didn't look that way, I wouldn't be as respected in that community. So there can be a lot of things that are tied up there that are worth unpacking. And there's nothing quite like unpacking things like asking yourself the questions and journaling about it. So journaling about why it's so important to be, why you feel it's so important to be leaner and going through probably a bit of thought questioning and reframing. So if you've got these thoughts of, oh, well, nobody will respect me unless I'm lean. Well, how true is that? You know, what evidence do you have for and against that thought that you can work through? And kind of work through your own thought patterns of being leaner and what that means to you. Because you'll often find that actually a lot of those thoughts you're telling yourselves aren't true or helpful. And as you start to unpick those, you can start to think about your body. And a body image is complex. I think you've got to start thinking about it more as being grateful for what your body can do from a functional perspective. That definitely helped me of what it can do both strength wise and just as a the body's incredible you know the digestion it can do and the fact it can heal itself and recover and you know if you break a bone it can fix itself with time and you know you sleep and you feel rested it's just like it's just the most miraculous piece of kit in the world 
So as soon as you start thinking functionally, that can really help. But I'd also it's use that word compassionate again, because you're not going to go from that place of being fixated on aesthetics and in a darker place with food and fitness to just being like magically cured. It's going to mm-hmm. take some self-discovery to unpick why you are that fixated on aesthetics so much that maybe other things are deteriorating. So you're excessively exercising or you're anxious around food and you're preoccupied with tracking food. And if you're not, you know, you're really scared. It's worth unpicking that gradually and thinking what would life look like if I let go of that control a little bit. It's like, I remember the analogy of hugging a cactus where you're trying to apply so much control that is actually causing you more harm than good. So you you want just the right amount of that, like you don't descend into chaos with zero control, but you want the right amount of like grip around your exercise and eating habits that don't feel like they are neuroticies, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And I think this helps to really hear you talk about, you know, it is quite a complex thing, isn't it? We've always got this kind of like identity scaffolding almost, and you don't want to just like, rip that down in one go do you, you want to be kind of like no. dismantling it bit by bit really and like with support with compassion and working through that because it often appears to be all about food and body image doesn't it but actually when we get beneath the layers it's often about lots of other things and how we feel about ourselves on a deeper level and that takes a bit of time doesn't it to work through some of these issues yeah yeah it does and that's why I mentioned the compassion and patience because Mm. asking yourself those questions about your own thoughts is key and then also just asking the questions of like you know the whole focus on aesthetics and how difficult it is to maintain that because what we don't realize I think a lot of the time as human beings is that we do have different genetics and different lifestyles that will predispose us to different natural levels of body fat and so what's maintainable for some people on less effort is actually very difficult for you to maintain and that doesn't mean it's right or wrong or healthy or unhealthy it's just different and I know that it was easier for me for example to be although I was tracking every calorie I wasn't eating low calorie when I was competing in CrossFit but I was also coaching CrossFit so I was training twice a day I was walking to and from the gym living in London so I was walking to the tube station taking the tube to work, walking from the station to the gym, doing that home again. I was coaching for four or five hours on my feet. So that's demoing movements, walking around a class, you know, adjusting people's movements, helping them with their technique, as well as helping them through the workout, as well as my own training. I wasn't on low calories, but I was tracking everything. And with that level of activity, three hours of exercise plus six hours of walking around plus walking to commuting, it was incredibly easier for me to be leaner than it is for someone who's working for eight or nine hours behind a desk driving to and from work has three kids it's you just can't compare your lifestyle to people on instagram because it's just not one they have a different genetic predisposition and two they've got a completely different lifestyle so what's maintainable for them is different it's not right or wrong it's just different yeah, no, I think great words of wisdom there. You know, I think we can all be vulnerable to that, can't we? Sort of just seeing these idealised images and completely forgetting, actually, that you could be in a completely different environment, different lifestyle, different genetics. You know, the comparison yeah. is completely futile, isn't it? Absolutely. 
So, Johnny, where can people find you if they would like to get in touch about coaching or, you know, listen to your podcast or, you know, yeah, do tell us. Oh, yeah. So the podcast is Next Step Espresso. So you can find that on any platform that you listen to podcasts on. A quick note about Next Step Espresso is that I did start it in 2019 and it started as a like a small single episode every day and with a guest episode occasionally on a Friday. And I actually stopped doing the daily format just towards the back end of last year because I'd done daily podcasts for so long the quality was almost deteriorating and I didn't want to just pile information at people, but I still do a guest episode of, you know, most Fridays and the kind of theme of the podcast used to be very weight centric as well as also informative on nutrition. But there was quite a lot of weight loss chat, like in the earlier years of the podcast, whereas now there's a lot more weight neutral chat and a lot more chat similar to the one we've had today. So just be aware if you're searching for sort of backlog of episodes, there might be stuff about, you know, fasting and fat loss and all the rest of it, because it's very much from a previous version of myself. But then there's also Instagram. So Instagram, my handle is just my name, Johnny Landles, and that's where I share pretty much all of my content. So that'll be the best place. Okay, brilliant. And an occasional song, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it was one of those where, again, I kind of tried to use that a bit as a bit of comedy. I don't do it as much anymore but that was purely because of my own perfectionist points of like needing them to be funny or amusing and kind of getting in my own head if they weren't. So that kind of pressure to create amusing content kind of got the better of me there. So Although I still resh- I still reshare some of the older ones that are quite funny. Sure. Well, I definitely enjoyed your like duet, if that's the right word, with Marcus I mean, yeah. Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, oh yes, that was actually one of the most recent ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're no sure. No, I mean, I think definitely I appreciate your songs and things, but I completely get in a way. It's like, it's a whole nother thing. You could probably spend a week, couldn't you, creating that sort of content? I think that's the issue, isn't it? It's like, unless there's an idea that comes into my head that's an absolute slam dunk, and then we can kind of film it and get it out there. That whole anxiety of it almost like needing to be funny rather than self-indulgent, if that makes sense. And then particularly because I'm I'm my own worst critic when it comes to like my singing voice. So I was almost like, okay, I'll just do it on stage and I'll just share videos of me singing in rehearsals and things like that. And it, yeah, it's one of those I probably get into my own head a bit too much about. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Johnny, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think you've just shared some incredible content, really explained so many different concepts really so thoroughly for the listeners and also just really inspiring to hear your story. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Harry. Thanks for having me on. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Johnny's info in the show notes. And if you're not following me on Instagram, do seek me out at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. Just to let you know, if you are looking for individual therapy, I do have quite a long waiting list at the moment. So just to flag that, but do feel free to contact me and I can give you more details. If you enjoy this podcast i'd be so grateful if you would follow rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners thank you so much for listening today and i look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon mm-hmm.